Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 2 Kings chapter 10 from the World English Bible. Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. Jehu wrote letters and sent to Samaria to the rulers of Jezreel, even the elders, and to those who brought up Ahab's sons, saying, Now as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also, and armor, select the best and fittest of your master's sons, set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. But they were exceedingly afraid, and said, Behold, the two kings didn't stand before him, how then shall we stand? He who was over the household, and he who was over the city, the elders also, and those who raised the children, sent to Jehu, saying, We are your servants, and will do all that you ask us. We will not make any man king. You do that which is good in your eyes. Then he wrote a letter the second time to them, saying, If you are on my side, and if you will listen to my voice, take the heads of the men who are your master's sons, and come to me to Jezreel by tomorrow this time. Now the king's sons, being seventy persons, were with the great men of the city who brought them up. When the letter came to them, they took the king's sons and killed them, even seventy people, and put their heads in baskets and sent them to him to Jezreel. A messenger came and told him, They have brought the heads of the king's sons. He said, Lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until the morning. In the morning he went out and stood and said to all the people, You are righteous. Behold, I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? Know now that nothing will fall to the earth of Yahweh's word, which Yahweh spoke concerning Ahab's house. For Yahweh has done that which he spoke by his servant Elijah. So Jehu struck all that remained of Ahab's house in Jezreel, with all his great men, his familiar friends, and his priests, until he left him no one remaining. He arose and departed and went to Samaria. As he was at the shearing house of the shepherds on the way, Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah king of Judah and said, Who are you? They answered, We are the brothers of Ahaziah. We are going down to greet the children of the king and the children of the queen. He said, Take them alive. They took them alive and killed them at the pit of the shearing house, even forty-two men. He didn't leave any of them. When he had departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. He greeted him and said to him, Is your heart right, as my heart is with your heart? Jehonadab answered, It is. If it is, give me your hand. He gave him his hand. And he took him up to him into the chariot. He said, Come with me and see my zeal for Yahweh. So they made him ride in his chariot. When he came to Samaria, he struck all who remained to Ahab in Samaria until he had destroyed him, according to Yahweh's word which he spoke to Elijah. 
Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore call to me all the prophets of Baal, all of his worshippers, and all of his priests. Let no one be absent, for I have a great sacrifice to Baal. Whoever is absent, he shall not live. But Jehu did deceptively, intending to destroy the worshippers of Baal. Jehu said, Sanctify a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. Jehu sent through all Israel, and all the worshippers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left that didn't come. They came into the house of Baal, and the house of Baal was filled from one end to another. He said to him who kept the wardrobe, Bring out robes for all the worshippers of Baal. So he brought robes out to them. Jehu went with Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, into the house of Baal. Then he said to the worshippers of Baal, Search and see that none of the servants of Yahweh are here with you, but only the worshippers of Baal. So they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself eighty men outside and said, If any of the men whom I bring into your hands escape, he who lets him go, his life shall be for the life of him. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, Go in and kill them, let no one escape. So they struck them with the edge of the sword. The guard and the captains threw the bodies out and went to the inner shrine of the house of Baal. They brought out the pillars that were in the house of Baal and burned them. They broke down the pillar of Baal and broke down the house of Baal and made it a latrine to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. However, Jehu didn't depart from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, with which he made Israel to sin, the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. Yahweh said to Jehu, Because you have done well in executing that which is right in my eyes, and have done to Ahab's house according to all that was in my heart, your descendants shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of Yahweh, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He didn't depart from the sins of Jeroboam, with which he made Israel to sin. In those days, Yahweh began to cut away parts of Israel, and Hazael struck them in all the borders of Israel, from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, the Gadites, and the Reubenites, and the Manassites, from Aror, which is by the valley of Arnon, even Gilead and Bashan. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu, and all that he did, and all his might, aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Jehu slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Jehoahaz, his son, reigned in his place. The time that Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was twenty-eight years. That is the end of chapter 10. In this chapter, the first question that comes to my mind is, did Ahab have 70 sons? Considering the terminology sons can be referring to male descendants, it is possible that it just means that, but there are other clues that it means that he actually had 70 direct offspring. Given that the kings frequently or usually had more than one wife plus concubines, that can account for large numbers of sons. And large numbers of sons are mentioned as direct offspring in other places in the Bible. For instance, Gideon in Judges 8, 30 through 31, 
is mentioned as having 70 sons. Rehoboam in 2 Chronicles 11.21 is mentioned as having 28 sons and 60 daughters, so 88 in total. Job is mentioned as having 20 children altogether in chapter 1, verse 2, and in chapter 42, verse 13. Ibzan in Judges chapter 12, verses 8 through 9 is mentioned as having 30 sons and 30 daughters. And then Abdon in that same chapter, verses 13 through 14, is mentioned as having 40 sons. And then it specifies 30 grandsons as well. The next question that comes to mind is how old were the sons? We pretty naturally get concerned when we hear about sons being killed because of who their father was. So I will also review that. But let's just think about the ages of these sons. Assuming the likelihood that they were Ahab's direct offspring, that would mean that none would have been younger than 12 years old at the youngest. However, verse 6 indicates that they were grown men. It doesn't even use the description of youth as we've talked about in other places, such as discussing King David's age before he was king when he killed Goliath and Rehoboam's age when he became king and listened to the youth who were his friends. Here it does talk about those who raised the children, but this seems to be in the past tense and just a description of their role. I couldn't find ages for the kings in this in Israel, starting with Omri, then going on to Ahab and down, just the length of their reign. But you could guess that Omri was a battle-seasoned warrior when he became king, and then he reigned for 12 years. So he's maybe 50 or 60 years old when he dies. So Ahab is easily 30 or 40 when he becomes king, still time to father 70 sons by multiple wives. And Ahab reigned 22 years, so possibly Ahaziah, presumably his oldest son, was around 40 when he became king. So the ages of Ahab's son at the lowest would have been 12 and at the greatest 40-ish. But now let me read you a couple of verses that talk about visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. The first is in Exodus chapter 34, starting in verse 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And I'm reading from the New King James Version here just because it's easier to pull it up on the Blue Letter Bible at this point. But then in Deuteronomy 24:16 in the law, God tells Moses, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. Then in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, this is reiterated when God says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So I think it's pretty safe to say here that these sons of Ahab are not bearing the guilt of Ahab, but they are suffering the consequences of his sin that is being passed down to the third and fourth generation. 
I think there's also plenty of biblical example that any if any of these sons had repented and followed God and worshipped him, that they would have received mercy of some sort. And for that idea, let me read particularly right now from Micah 7.18, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Now, we do see that Jehu's reputation has preceded him, and those who had previously cared for the men cut off their heads for self-preservation, and they groveled to Jehu. It is the way of the world of corrupt politics and power. It is emphasized more than once that these were the people who had previously cared for them. I'm glad we were spared the details of restraining and beheading, but we are given the gruesome picture of 70 heads in baskets. Jehu wants to make the point that Yahweh is carrying out his justice by other means besides just him. It's not just the will of Jehu. He appeals to the righteous uh, judgment of the people of Jezreel, and then he proceeds to kill any male descended from Ahab. So you have to think there were children involved here, which is not unlike King David's son dying because of his sin. And then uh, Ahab's close friends and priests were also killed. It doesn't seem all that reliable to be well-connected with whomever is in power at the moment. And then you have the 42 brothers of Ahaziah, the uh, Ahaziah that was the king of Judah, who have the misfortune to run into Jehu somewhere around Samaria, on their way to visit their cousins who were just executed. They would have also been Ahab's grandsons, but not through the male line. Jehoshaphat did his family no favors by having his son marry into Ahab's family. It was still like technically legal to marry into Israel. This is part of God's chosen people. So it's not against that part of God's command, but the command had included not marrying those who worshiped false gods who were supposed to be put out of the land. So Jehoshaphat had to know that about Ahab and his wife Jezebel and their family. Then this guy, Jehonadab, the son of Rechab just pops up. And so I was looking him up and I saw that in David Gusick's commentary, he points out that in Jeremiah chapter 35, God uses the way that um, Jehonadab's descendants listened to him as an example of how Israel should have obeyed God, kind of a witness against them that obedience was quite possible. So in Jeremiah, these men get a commendation and a promise from God for their obedience to their earthly father. So this Jehonadab shakes or grasps Jehu's hand in compact and then gets up into the chariot. And we proceed to this drama with the worshipers of Baal that Jehu plays out. It's not according to any specific directions that God gives him. God does not tell people to lie, but it is a good thing that he is trying to accomplish. Um, in verse 23, it talks about he goes to extra lengths to make sure that no one who follows Yahweh is there in the building. And then Jehu goes all the way through the sacrifices to verify that these people are actually worshiping Baal. Since Jehu doesn't get rid of the golden calf worship, which Jeroboam put into place to keep the northern kingdom worshiping in the northern kingdom. It seems like possibly he's just getting rid of the Baal worshipers because they would have been maybe closer adherence to Ahab. Still, God blesses the obedience that Jehu showed 
but in a limited way. The kingdom will stay with Jehu's house, but it dwindles. With Jehu being such a mighty warrior, there's no good reason for this except for it not being blessed by God in that way. And so we see in verse 32 that what Elisha told Hazael when he was weeping in 2 Kings 8, 12, all that he told him is coming to pass. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 